1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we will only read verses 1 to 5. Verses 1 to 5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak of to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But anyone who prophesies speak to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. <clears throat> may the Lord help us to understand the reading that of his word. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 1 to 5 and the... Uh, the topic of the sermon is the greatness of prophecy. The greatness of prophecy. We have looked at the gifts of the Spirit, how God gifts his, his church with different gifts so that this, this, the, the church as a body can be built up by the support of each of the members. So the church operates then as a body we have looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've also learned from the Bible that not all the gifts as they were practiced in 1 Corinthians, or well in the Corinth church, are and were equally important or equally good. Paul then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, ranks the gifts. But what he also wanted people to know, as he includes 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in that, that all the gifts that they might have would be worthless if it was not accompanied by love. Love is the thing that binds them together. And we looked at this and we concluded then last week that a church, it's better for a church to be remembered not by their gifts or the excellence of the gifts, but a church should be remembered by the excellence of their love for one another. Today then, we continue in that to work out what is going on in some of the charismatic churches and why is it that people are 
so in many cases drawn to these things as if that is the only place where God is working. The Apostle Paul, as he has listed these things in he come down to the list, to the very last and the very last bottom of what he said. He says, the speaking in tongues. That is not a good gift. It's not an excellent gift. And he contrasts this now with prophesying. Now you might ask, now what on earth is prophesying then? What is the prophecy in a church? Does it still happen in our time? Or do we understand that prophecy might be something different than what we think prophecy might be? Keep in mind the Apostle Paul is not talking to the ministers within the church in Corinth. He's talking to the church of Corinth. And therefore, he says, you, you should, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And now he talks to the people there, and he says, what should you then do? If you want to really pursue gifts, keep in mind the most important of it all is love should be the thing. And then go for the best ones that will edify the church. Just don't go for something that will not really edify or comfort or build up the church. And now he contrasts these two things. So one thing we must understand here is this. The speaking in tongues, according to the Apostle Paul, is not to prophesy. You got that? That's two different gifts. So I find that in many cases when people start speaking in tongues, they start telling you in a different language what's going to happen. There, the apostle says, no. As a matter of fact, he, he contrasts prophecy and the speaking in tongues as if they were two different gifts. It's not the same thing. I've been to a church one morning where someone had a, a gift or a, a message, and he was, well, it was funny, not, not funny, it was strange to me to think that that could happen, but he, he got up and in, in he, he spoke in, in, a, in a language that I couldn't understand. Well, that's okay. And then uh, someone then got up and said he will interpret what that person said. Well, according to the Bible, there should be an interpreter, which is good. But then it came out that this person was actually prophesying that there will be a lot of rain through the winter. What, what happened here? It's the gift of language or the gift of tongues mixed with the mixed with the with the gift of prophecy. And according to the Bible, that is not the same thing. 
The purpose of spiritual gift is to serve the church for its common good. Also, the Spirit gives gifts as he determines. We looked at that last week. The Bible distinguishes between different, two different forms of prophecies. First of all, there's a prophecy as a revelation of the unknown, and usually this prophecy comes in a known language. And the second is a prophecy as just plain telling the word of God. And that's why this command comes to the church and not only to the church members. As Paul says, the best thing you can do is to live and to talk and to proclaim the word of God in a, in a language where everyone can understand what it's all about. That is gift number one. That's right on the top of it. That's important. We tried in our own way yesterday to do that. Would not be of a lot of uh, uh, comfort to people if they walked by and Steve and I were babbling along in some unknown language. I mean, I could do that, uh, but people wouldn't understand that in my mother tongue. But the point is, if you proclaim the word of God, do that in a language that can build other people up and encourage them. And also, uh, as the Bible says, they're strengthening them in their faith. But let's look at another form of, of, of uh, prophecy. A prophecy of telling what is unknown. Just a few thoughts then about that. When Paul mentions the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he probably refers to the gift given to some to look into the future, if I may use that term. We read about this gift in the book of Acts, but the interesting thing is it is only very rarely that this happened. It was not like it happened every day. Only rarely. And we read about this twice about the same person. So it was basically very, very rarely. If you uh, would like to read in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, we read this. In those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Jerusalem of the south, they went up to Antioch right there on the, on the crescent. And then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. By the Spirit. The Spirit gave him that, that gift to see things that others couldn't see. It was because of this prophecy that the churches in all places where Paul ministered to, decided to make a special effort to help the church in Jerusalem. And that's what he did then. As far as he went with his missionary work, he collected some gifts for the church in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 21, verse 4, we read, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So there were people there who had this insight about what might, might happen to the Apostle Paul. But further, down the same chapter, we read in verses 8 and 9, on the next day, 
We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. It's the second instance we read about prophecy. He had these daughters, four of them, and they prophesied. We don't know what their prophecies were about, when they did it, and uh, what exactly she, they, they, they said. But the word prophesied there is written in a tense and in a mood of the sense where it says that's what they usually did. That they, if you want prophesy, you could go to these people. That's what they did. But that's only that one verse that we, we read about that. And then we move on to a next verse, Acts chapter 21, verse 10 to 11. And as we stayed many days, verse 10, a certain prophet named Agabus, once again the same person, came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Once again, we find that expression by the Spirit. Prophets uttered certain unknown facts of the future driven by the Spirit. The point here is to understand that the Spirit gave this gift as he determines for the benefit of the whole church. Agabus prophesied about the drought, and it activated the whole church into action for the benefit of them all, the givers as well as the receivers of the gifts. But there are other instances that are very interesting. Although the Spirit inspired others to utter revelation about the lot of Paul, they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus said to him, you know, tying his belt, and he said, that's what the Jews will do to you. And they said that by the Spirit. We read in the next verse, verse 13, Acts chapter 21, verse 13. What do you mean, Paul said, by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What was the reaction of the rest around Paul? They said, So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. So we conclude here that prophecy is a gift of wisdom, encouragement and knowledge. This is in accordance with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. So by the way, although they tried to persuade Paul with this revelation of the prophecy, Paul did not find that binding upon him. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul said, well, that's your opinion on it, but I'll follow the Lord as I understand it. Then prophecy is a gift given to the church as the Spirit determines. This is also in accordance then with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Prophecy is a gift given for the benefit of the body of believers. This is in accordance with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11. Prophecy is a gift that may surface at a time of great distress and difficulty within the church. That we see from the scriptures. So that, that is possible. 
Prophecy is a gift that does not bind all members of the church because it does not have the same authority as the scriptures. Therefore, I've had people who, had, who said to me, uh, you know, when I was praying about should I accept the call or not, people come up to me and they say, we don't think you should accept that call. And I say, thank you very much. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I appreciate the fact that people are praying with me. They're seeking the face of the Lord with me about this. And in the end, I say, well, I think I should. Why? Because their view cannot be binding on me. The only thing that's binding on my mind is the word of God. So if anyone comes to you and say that I've had a vision or I've had some dream or I had some whatever that you shouldn't be doing this or that and the other, uh, what you need to do is test that against the word of God and pray about it and make it out with the Lord in terms of what you want you need to do there these people were very kind to the apostle paul and the spirit was very kind to him he warned them he said paul don't go to jerusalem because you'll be bound there and paul says well thanks for the advice but i'm willing to die for the lord jesus christ so he went there was he was he disobedient to the spirit of god i don't think he was because in jail that he actually written, that he wrote most of his letters that you and I can read today for our benefit. So prophet, uh, prophecy, therefore, cannot add to the scriptures. Prophet, uh, the scriptures are our supreme authority to which we may not add or take away. Nothing, nothing can be put against the scriptures or alongside the scriptures that might be of the same weight and authority as the Bible itself. So we, we could say that in many cases, when people would would have the gift of prophecy and they come to us and they tell us about certain things that they have had a dream or a vision or knowledge about, we take that as good advice, but not as authoritative revelation of God. Because the only place where God revealed himself in authority that stands for all generations is in the word of God. But there's another form of prophecy which is the proclaiming of the authoritative infallible scriptures to which we are not allowed to add or to take away. The scriptures are our supreme standard for teaching and living. God gave some this gift to preach, but he gave this gift to all of us to proclaim. And he says, this is the best gift of them all. Talk to people about God and his word. We call that evangelism. And you and I are all called for that. Some of us are better in doing that, and others uh, need to discover that they can do it well, if only they are willing to do so. Now Paul puts these two things one against the other. He said there's a prophecy of proclaiming the word of God. And there's the gift of the speaking in tongues. And he contrasts these two things. Prophecy, in this sense, then, excludes the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. You understand that? 
He says, when I'm talking now, I'm talking, I'm putting the gift of tongues and prophecy against one another, two different gifts, not the same thing. When the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues are contrasted, we see the following. When it comes to tongues, you can look it up in the Bible there in the first few verses of that chapter that we read this morning. He said, when you speak in tongues, you speak to God. But when you prophesy, you speak to men. When you speak in tongues, no one understands you. It's no good you talk to someone in a language you don't understand. But if you prophesy, everyone understands. Why? Because it's done in a language that people understand. If you speak in a tongue, you speak mysteries, which means that you speak about something that maybe even yourself don't know about. You prophesy, you speak things that people can understand. When you speak in tongues, there's no immediate edification, exhortation, or comfort to the rest of the body of believers. When you prophesy, when you proclaim the word of God, when you evangelize, edification and exhortation and comfort for the rest of the body of the believers is known. It's there. It's, it's good. When you speak in tongues, it's an incomplete gift. Why is it incomplete? It's incomplete because it needs an interpreter. When you speak in a language, you prophesy, you don't need that. It's complete in itself. The Holy Spirit takes it further. Therefore, he says, tongues are an inferior gift. But prophesying is the best. Now, I heard last week in Pyramid Hill people who visit uh, the church there, that he said his, ne- his nephew and niece, they belong to a church in Melbourne. And both of them, the nephew and the niece, have now completed a course in speaking in tongues. And the niece were given a certificate. But unfortunately, the nephew failed. He, he didn't make it. Now, honestly, and I don't want to be funny here, but I honestly don't know how you can issue a certificate on that if the speaking in gifts or in tongues is an unknown language. The Bible is very clear about that. At least the way in which the people in in Corinth practice that. It's an unknown language. You need an interpreter for that. If that is just a babbling of unknown words, how would your examiner know that you can pass this or not. Sounds a bit contradicting to me. But you see, there was something else happening in the church in Corinth here. When they went to these other temples that they went to, you know, and we've already established that there would have been a lot of temples that these people went to. 
One of the things that happened there is they, they went through a process of initiation. You know, they came there and they went into this temple and then they were initiated into this, into this religion. And, and what happened is, in, 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 a, in, in, in some ways, they became like the God or God-like when they were initiated. Some of the things of the God that they worshipped became part of their life. And they were almost now within the sphere of, of this God. And they then received, according to all these, some mysteries. And uh, integral to this is the fact that those who wished to take part in their celebration had on a, 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 a undergone this initiation. The initiated, the uninitiated were denied both access to the sacred actions and the knowledge of them. You know, it's like you go to the temple. Have you been initiated? No, I haven't been. So you're not welcome really here because you wouldn't understand what's going on here. I've been initiated. I've been into this thing. And I'm now into something that I know a lot about my God because my, my God has actually become me and I've become my God. And all mysteries promised their devotees salvation by the dispensing of their life into the life of their uh, devotees. The holy mystery of the rites was the sanctifying union between the deity and those who came to worship. Now, all of this said, it seems like some of those who worshipped in those temples came to the church in Corinth with the same idea. And now what happened there is this, and I don't want in any way, if you please forgive me uh, 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 if I come across that way, if I'm just criticizing other people. I'm not criticizing that. I'm wanting to understand what it says against the word of God. In some charismatic circles, the principles said out here that you initiated, that you become part of an elite sort of group where you get this insight knowledge and where you can get now full access, almost as if God has given something of himself to you so that you become godlike. Some regard their decision for Christ as a way by which they become co-gods. This is not in the sense of Romans chapter 8, but in the sense of sharing in the same divine powers of God. I don't know if you've been to some of the places where they have these healing services. And, and, and I'm appalled by some, some, and it's not like I stand there and I ask God as a humble servant that he would, in his own way, provide health for the person. It is more like you demand of God that he would heal. Have, have you been in places where that happens? It is like, I'm here, I've got God within me, and I've got the power of God, and therefore I'll be God for tonight. And I will just demand the devil to, of, 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 uh, of uh, sickness to depart from this person. There's no prayer and submission to the sovereign God for his will to be done. Instead, God is commanded to bring about healing. This is, the, uh, this is the reason why people are invited to go to healing services and then 
to be expect to ex uh, ex uh, expect to be to be healed. And unfortunately, what also happens here, and I don't say it happens all the time, but what can happen here is this so-called initiation happens for many people when they are baptized by immersion. And I'm not trying to, to start a debate here to say that we only baptize with, with the sprinkling of water and others immerse, uh, by immersion. That's not the point here today. But some see it. That is the moment baptism saves me. And because I'm saved by baptism, I receive the Holy Spirit in my baptism. And therefore, when I'm baptized, I immediately start speaking in tongues. And that becomes to me the sign that I am now saved. And of course, it does become the sign that others who do not have this experience are not saved. Now, this is not true, because baptism is a sign of God's grace. It is not God's grace. If we think about the, the, the baptism this way, we've come extremely, dangerously close to the Roman church. Because they say the only thing you need to do is be take the sacrament you go to heaven. Sacrament becomes the funnel of God's grace where we say, and we understand the Bible says, no, the sacrament is a sign of God's grace. It is not God's grace. Baptism will never save. Baptism is a sign of salvation. And therefore, I cannot say that I'm baptized and now I'm saved. Because I'm baptized and because I am saved and I'm baptized, I speak in tongues. And now that I speak in tongues, that to me is the sign of my salvation. And therefore, if it didn't happen to you, sorry, you are not initiated you're not in this close circle of the know, those who know the mysteries of God. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Not all translations, by the way, would translate the word Spirit there with capital S. Because there is no certainty that those who speak in the spirit, the, ministry, the mysteries of God, would necessarily speak in the spirit of God. But the mood and the verb express something of a condition. If, or even a, a reference to time, when or whenever, if someone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men, or Whenever someone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men. With this in mind, and the first fact that no one, nowhere else in the Bible, this form of speaking to God, which is prayer, is commended as normative for prayer, one wonders if this might be one of those passages where Paul applies a bit of sargasm. sargasm. So by the way, there's a lot of sargasm going on in, uh, in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. You have to read that and see sometimes Paul speaks tongue in the cheek with the people. The implication of this is then that Paul is not stating the fact of the doctrine as if it was true that all speakers of tongues are speaking to God. 
He could then be saying, if I can paraphrase this, you assume that whenever someone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him, however the spirit who speaks. He said, you assume that when someone speaks in a tongue, he speaks to God? The Corinthians indeed build the doctrine around the speaking of tongues as proof of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The speaking in tongues to them was a condition, the if, the proof in the time, whenever you're a Christian. This was most important. While Paul Paul actually says it was not the case. It is not the gift to desire because it is to no edification, encouragement, and exhortation to the rest of the body. He says, if this verse can be understood this way, we find it easy to understand why Paul and the rest of the chapter refer to tongues not in a positive way, but in a fairly negative way. To their assumption that whenever someone speaks in a tongue, he speaks to God, he replies. But if he, verse 3, if he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation to uh, comfort to men. Prophesying? Yes. Proclaim the word of God. Talk about God. Talk about the things that the Bible says about God. It is, it, it is a way in which you can Propagate the gospel. It's a way in which you can make known to people who God is. And I can take the Bible. I can go to someone. The Bible says there it should be uh, to comfort. And I can go to someone who lost a family member or what. uh, And I can comfort them from the Bible. There are lots of verses in the Bible about that one. Or I can go to someone uh, who is living in sin. And I can... uh, I can talk to them there, strengthening and comfort exhortation from the Bible. Why? The Bible says that. God says that. That's how it is. No doubt about that. That's how it is. But if I start babbling on in, a tongue, uh, in some tongue, no one knows what I'm talking about. They'd ask, what are you, what are you on about? What are you on about? What, what are you talking about? Paul says, don't always assume that everyone who talks in a tongue speaks to God. That's not the assumption. But if you hear someone who takes the Bible, opens the Bible, and reads the Bible, and holds out what the Bible says, you can be sure God is talking now. Why? The Bible is authoritative, and it stands for all time. Once again, the same tense and mood of the verb is used. He who prophesies, the prophesier. The fact is that if and whenever someone prophesies, he speaks edification and exhortation and comfort. The fact is doctrine and can be backed up by the scripture itself. And that is exactly what Paul wanted the Corinthians to desire and strive for. Now that, just that verse, because you might say, well, Paul says, um, then verse 5, he said, I would like everyone to, of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Doesn't he say there, speak in tongues? If you read between the lines, the apostle says, I just wish that you grow up in your faith. I, I, I just wish that you can have a relationship with God. And when you have that relationship with God, than that you would speak about God from his word and about Jesus Christ? Last week, on our way back from Pyramid Hill, Hila made this remark to me. She said, 
you're preaching these things to people who don't have a problem with these things. So why do you preach these things? Well, I hope you don't have a problem with it. But what does the Bible say? When I preach the word of God, what do we do? We are strengthening. We are encouraging. We don't assume that you've got a problem. Maybe through this the Lord will give you the wisdom to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to maybe, if I just sum it up, not get this idea because that you can't speak in a tongue you're not saved. Okay? You know who you know who is saved? I'll just sum it up very quickly for you. Those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess their sins, rely on the merit and the righteousness of Jesus only, who follow him in obedience and who are led every day to live to his glory. They are saved. The next thing is, when you come across people and say, you poor Presbyterians. You know, that is true. We are poor Presbyterians, and, and there's, there's a lot of room for, for improvement in our church. We need to, to know more about the joy of living in the Lord. We need to know more about, yes, prophesying, telling others more about the Lord. We need to know all these things. We need to know more about the love of Christ. Yes, we need to grow every day as a church. We cannot and never say we've, 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 we've arrived. We're on our way. We're on a journey. We have to improve. But never, never let anyone take from you your, your assurance when they pose things to you that are not found in the scriptures. And it might just be that through this, you are strengthened, not only in your personal life, but to talk when others talk to you and point them to the right way of understanding the scriptures. Okay? May the Lord help us I had second thoughts last night when I, when I uh, went through my work again. Should I even preach this? But then again, I thought, it is the word of God, and I will preach this, and I will trust that God, through the work of his spirit, would have someone today be encouraged and strengthened in their faith and their knowledge about the word of God. One last word. Prophesying is an excellent gift. It's an excellent thing to do. How do you do that? How do you do that? You know what's a good place to start? Know the Bible. Go and do Bible study. Go do Bible study. Because you wouldn't know how to tell what God says if you don't know what the Bible says. That's excellent. That's excellent. Let us pray. Our Father, we, we thank you that 
even through the error of people, the error of your church, you teach us. And those people in Corinth, they are called saints. They were called your people, your church, although they had a lot of growing up to do. Lord, we're encouraged by that because we want to be your church and we know that you've called us to be your church and we've got a lot of growing up to do. So, Lord, we pray that you will not, uh, that you might take away from us uh, a spirit of judgment upon others and criticism upon others, but give us the spirit of love so that in love we can, from the word of God as our authoritative source of revelation, we can speak to others and correct for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.